Today it's more critical than ever to know the health of a submarket or trade area for self-storage. I talk a lot about that, knowing how healthy a submarket is before you buy or build in it. But what exactly do I mean by it? What do I mean by it today? My name is Mark Helm. I'm the author of Creating Wealth Through Self-Storage, and I'm the creator of the Self-Storage Quick Start Academy, which houses the on-demand self-storage boot camp, which is the premier training that I offer that will take you from wherever you are now all the way through all the steps, all the processes involved in how to put your first or your next self-storage facility into service in today's environment. You can find out more about it at creatingwealththroughselfstorage.com or in the link below. But I talk in the boot camp and I talk in articles. I, when I'm talking with people, I'm always talking about before you develop or put more square footage into a trade area or submarket, know what the supply and demand is, how healthy that submarket is. But what exactly do I mean by it? Well, what I mean by it today is a little bit different than what I meant by it three, four, five years ago. Maybe even a year ago. So let's start with what do I mean by trade area or submarket? Well, in most cases, not all cases, but many cases, it's the three to five mile radius from a facility. That's what makes self-storage so good as an investment because you know where your customers are. You're not having to figure out where your customers are coming from. Nobody's going to drive from one end of Atlanta to another because they like how the facility looks or they think the doors are cool. They're going to rent where they live or where they work. And it's real easy to quantify how big that market is. It's also easy to, fairly easy to quantify how much current supply is there and how much is coming online. So you know how much product there is and you know how big your customer base is. What more can you ask for? Well, a few more things. But the three and five mile radius is not always the trade area. In our particular portfolio, 3.2 miles is or was the, like the average distance of our customers from our facilities. But I don't think I had one facility where it was exactly 3.2 miles. In densely populated areas, your uh, trade area is going to be smaller. In rural areas, I mean, you could have 10 or 20 mile uh, trade area. I don't know. The other thing is it's not always a radius. So, for example, in my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky, which is on the border with Indiana, we're separated by the Ohio River. I was doing a project downtown in that market. I'm, a, you know, quarter mile from the river. I'll tell you, a mile away in Indiana, those people aren't coming over to our facility. There's a toll bridge and it's at that, that mile away might as well have been 30 miles away because those customers will be driving by countless facilities before they would get to mine and not one of them is going to come over. 
So sometimes it's drive time. Sometimes on a coast, you're, you're going to have, instead of 360 degree, you'll have 180 degree. So know what your trade area is, define your trade area. Ultimately, your feasibility report is going to define your trade area. But when you're doing your preliminary analysis, figure out what your trade area really is. And don't just go by three and five mile radius necessarily. Now let's talk about three metrics that I think are critical in defining the health of a trade area. And I'm not looking for exact numbers here, which I know is not intuitive and I know it's not intellectually satisfying, but I'm not looking for a specific number. The numbers in one area, trade area, may be the exact same in another trade area but I feel this one's healthy and this one isn't. I'll tell you what I mean. So the first metric is square feet per capita. Not hard to figure out. I used to try to figure it out on my own today where there's all types of subscription services you can subscribe to. That's a mouthful. Or you can buy reports from Radius Plus, but it's not hard today to get a preliminary glimpse into a trade area defined by an address and figure out what the square foot per capita probably is. It isn't going to be that exactly, but it probably pretty close. Now I talked last week about my thoughts on this metric and what I think its limitations are, but putting all that aside, it's still a very important metric. Even if I don't like that metric, and I do, I pay attention to it, but even if I don't like that metric, the banks do, my partners do, and I need to know what it is. Now it's real simple, you take your population and you divide how many square feet are in that population and the national average is somewhere around seven and a half to eight and a half percent. Now, like I said last week, in Texas, 10% may be great. If I'm in Duluth, Minnesota, 10% is going to be very high. It's going to be over oversaturated. Ultimately, my feasibility report is going to tell me what the supply demand is. The feasibility report is going to define what equilibrium is for that particular trade area. And most likely I'm going to do whatever the feasibility report says. Now perhaps one reason I'm so, I question that metric so much, and the reason is because I don't always see that metric line up with what really happens. But if you think about it, if I'm in the subject property I'm looking at, and we're looking at, let's say, a three and five mile radius, and there's a property four and a half miles away from me, that property has its own trade area. And when we, very often when we look at these feasibility reports, if it's five miles away and it's 50,000 square feet, that 50,000 square feet is going to show up as square footage in my trade area. Is it really 50,000 feet? Isn't it more like 20,000 feet? Because that market has its, that subject, at, that storage facility has its own trade area. and. Some of his customers are 10 miles away from me. 
which aren't in my trade area at all, but yet the square footage is counted in it. Maybe that's why this metric's off sometimes. I don't know. I just know often it doesn't line up with reality, but I kind of know what it is. I got to make a decision using some kind of data. The banks are, very often my partners are, so I need to know what it is. But that's the first metric I use. Now you're going to ask me, what is the number? I don't know what the number is. The number along the coast is very different than the number in the Midwest. Number in the Southeast is different than the number in the Northeast. The, the number in a highly populated area is different than in a smaller market. So I don't know. I'm looking usually seven and a half to nine, somewhere in there. It just all depends. I've done deals where it's higher and they've gone very well. So I can't tell you that number at this moment. But that's a metric we look at. The next metric is population. In the old days, you would hear, and I heard all the time, you want something with 50,000 people or more in a five mile radius. Why? Well, I guess that's what the REITs used to say in the early 2000s, in the 90s. Well, we've had some great projects where we don't have 50,000 people in a five mile radius. I'm looking for some people. I, I will be very nervous if I see 5,000 people in a five mile radius, but I'm looking for some population. I'm also looking for I'm interested in what the density is, like how many people per square mile. And I'm very, very, very interested in the population growth. Now, in a densely packed market, let's say downtown Dallas, sometimes it's going to be hard to get population growth or strong population growth. Why? Well, because all the land's already taken, so there's not a lot of opportunity to provide more housing and bring more people to you. So I keep that in mind. But what I don't want to see is negative population growth. Population is one of the growth is one of the main drivers for self-storage. Any mistake. In every mistake, I can't think of a mistake, but almost every mistake that we would make as a developer or builder of self-storage or bringing more self-storage space on will be solved eventually by population growth. So that's what I'm looking for. Now, it doesn't have to be double digit, doesn't have to be real high. If you look at the markets that have the largest population growth, most of them are not major cities. They're close to major cities, but Google that sometime and see what comes up. What I saw was smaller towns, smaller markets, close to larger metropolitan areas. Why? Well, because they've got the room to expand. Also, I don't look for the 50,000 number anymore, primarily because REITs don't look for it anymore. I've seen REITs go in where that number's not there, where it's a different number. I've seen them go in small second tier and third tier type markets. And again, I don't have any hard and fast numbers, but I'm looking, feeling would be more accurate. Is that trade area growing or declining? 
And then the third metric ties in a little bit with populations, demographic information, but it's what is the income? Now again, there used to be numbers bantered around of what is the right, you know, the minimum per capita or household income you should have. I don't pay a lot of attention to that anymore. I mean, let's say it's $40,000. $40,000 per capita in Alabama is a great number. It'll work well. $40,000 in San Francisco is probably poverty. Uh, I just don't want to be in a low income area. I'll go ultimately before I write an LOI if I can, definitely before I write a contract, contract or remove any contingencies, I'm driving that area. And I want to make sure that my this trade area that the property I'm looking at or the site I'm looking at is not low income. Nothing wrong with low income or low income folks. It just doesn't work well for self-storage. Works well for other type projects, but not self-storage. And I want to make sure that it, I'm at least kind of in the middle or up in trade area. So if I'm looking at a market and I'm towards this trade area is kind of towards the lower end of the economic scale in there, I'm probably not going to be too interested in it. I don't need a high end, but I just don't want to be on the lower end of the economic scale in any particular market, you know, city, town, market area. Now, I've done it. Here's what I've found out. If, if I'm in an area, let's say, where the average income per capita income is $33,000, and I've done those deals, I've made every mistake you can make, here's what I've discovered. One, the average length of stay is much shorter. You know, our average length of stay, I, I forget the number off the top of my head, but it's, you know, 50-something months on average in our portfolio. And that property, I think it was 10. So because the average length of stay is shorter, and most likely the rent structure is going to be lower there, the average value of, of a customer is much less. And lease up takes longer because you've got more people moving out. So the lease up period takes longer. You've got more people moving, you know, just more churn going on. You got to spend more in marketing. The average value of a customer is less. And you spend more calories, more resources, more time, energy, and money on collections. So I look at per capita income, I look at household income, I look at how many people are in a household, and I really try to get in the world of that trade area, you know, like what are those people, what do they have their attention on? I will, as I drive that area, I'll look at the houses, I'll look at the cars or trucks, I love seeing trucks parked in driveways, I'll drive it during business hours. I'll drive it at night or on weekends. I want to see more cars in there at night and on weekends than during business hours. I like to see people out working. And I try to get a feel for that area. Then I do some really scientific stuff like where's the nearest Starbucks? Starbucks spends a lot of money on looking at 
disposable income, you know, does disposable income drive storage? No, but I want to make sure there's, if they've got money to buy a Starbucks or a, there's coffee shops in the area, then they have money to, to, to stay in a self-storage facility longer. I look at what are the retailers in the area? Do those type of retailers service lower income, middle income, or higher income? You know, if I see a lot of furniture rental stores or pawn shops, that gives me information about that trade area. Not bad information, just information. And I look at the grocery stores. What type of grocery stores? So I try to get a feel. Ultimately, I'm getting a feel for who my customer is. And will my product, do those customers really have a need for my product? A lot of this is guesswork. I'll use the numbers, but I've walked from deals where the numbers look good. We had a deal in Florida where it was going to be a lot of boat parking and RV parking. Well, in my particular trade area, and I expanded that trade area because it was parking. Usually parking is a larger trade area. I didn't see a lot of boats or RVs around there. These people were working hard to put food on their table and keep their kids in school and create a good life for their families. They weren't too worried about boats or RVs. So ultimately, even though the numbers were okay, I walked from the deal. So in conclusion, that's like today how I'm analyzing a submarket. Now, I know there's a lot of data out there and the tendencies to sit at your desk and look at numbers and make decisions and it can kind of point you in one direction or another, but I still feel boots on the ground, drive the area, get to experience what the life of that particular trade area is all about, and then make your decision. Ultimately, I'm glimpsing into the world of my customer. Doesn't matter what business you're in. If you've got a, if you have a customer base that has a need and you can fulfill that need and you can fulfill that need better than your, your competition, you'll be successful. If you build a self-storage facility or expand one in a trade area where there really isn't a need for it, it's going to be a long uphill battle for you. So know your trade area. So when I say that I look glimpse into the, the health of a trade area or submarket for self-storage, that's like the world in which I'm talking about. All of what we've talked about today. I hope that helps. My name's Mark Helm. I'm the author of Creating Wealth Through Self-Storage, and I'm the creator of the Storage World Analyzer. That's the financial analysis tool we use once I find a trade area I think is good. Then we'll run our financial modeling on the Storage World Analyzer. You can find out more about it at Creating Wealth Through Self-Storage or StorageWorldAnalyzer.com. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Thank you.